Hey guys, what's up? Week 166. Let's hop right into the reviews. We're going to finish up the Solid Metal Nightmare set. Uh, yeah, we did the first five last week. Let's do the second five right now. And uh, the first one is A Snake of June. I had a, like I said, I wasn't too familiar with this director's work. I had seen, you know, Tetsuo and Haruko the Goblin, stuff that was more directly going to be up my alley that I knew I'd love. But um, going through this fed, I... I really found a, a appreciation for this director. Now, watching 10 of his movies in two weeks was a, was a bit much, but I, I can't say that there's really a bad movie in the set. Uh, this one, A Snake of June, has a lot of interesting concepts, and it's definitely different um, than his previous efforts, for sure. I, I really, um, you know, when it get, started getting to, like, Bullet Ballet and Tokyo Fist, all his movies have a, a core of drama in them, for sure. I felt like they were more towards twisted dramas, and I think he's getting a little bit away from more horror and sci-fi and going towards that twisted drama thing but uh a snake of june follows the story of a woman who works as like a 9-1 and not a 9-1-1 operator she basically works at like a suicide hotline where she talks people down and and saves their lives that's essentially what she does she lives in a really kind of loveless or i should say sexless marriage where they're definitely repressed um they don't really have much of a sexual you know relationship and, and the guy's a little bit older than her and he seems a little bit controlling they both are very kind of strange and, and distant in, in, in a lot of ways so one day, um, she starts to receive these phone calls um, from somebody, uh, and it's somebody blackmailing her. They caught her kind of in a moment of, uh, you know, masturbating outside of her house, naked and everything like that, and she's, he sends her the photos. And you realize there's a big reveal, like all his other movies, not necessarily bigger, but you realize this guy is somebody from her past, which, or, or they have some sort of relationship, which is like another, like the main theme I've noticed, <laughs> his structure of these movies, they're always like this big reveal that the people involved have a history that you don't know when they reveal it to the audience about halfway or towards the end of the movie um, for like a dramatic hit or any, something like that. So it, it definitely happens in Snake of June. But uh, the director was talking about in the special features on the last disc that he kind of wanted to explore, you know, uh, by a woman's point of view, uh, a thing like this. And I do think it's very interesting, it, it, this woman exploring her sexuality and the idea of people who... Um, Life is, you know, very fragile in a lot of ways because some of the characters reveal certain things about them. This one goes back to being um, black and white. I, I, I believe it's very saturated if it's not black and white. That's crazy that I can't exactly remember if it's black and white or not. I believe it is. Um, goes back to like Tetsuo and, um, geez, what was the other one? Uh, I think was Bullet Ballet. Like his movies mix. I can't even recall. Um, this one I believe is black and white. But the lead's really good in this. Uh, um, and there's like reveals about her that I think are a very hard hitting and you unique. Uh, I like the changes in characters. Like, I would directly compare this to Tokyo Fist, how the characters, all three of the characters, the main characters throughout, although one is mostly on the phone, um, change. And you, you have different feelings about all of them. Uh, so it, it's a very interesting uh, moment about, you know, uh, you, people's will to live and their sexuality and all that kind of stuff is explored. Interesting movie for sure. And uh, it's definitely got that creepy vibe of somebody basically blackmailing you to do things, but it's not as it seems either. So um, again, the director stars in this one as one of the um, main roles and he's really good too. But uh, I think that um, the person who steals the show is, is the lead female. She's very solid in this one. It looks great and sounds great like the others. So yeah. Hi, so this, this. Oh, 
Okay, the next one in the set is Vital. And this, this one's very interesting as well. So um, again, a bunch of reveals about characters that are established and everything. We have this um, young man who's going to medical school and he's like for a surgeon and all that kind of stuff. And he has amnesia. He was in an accident. He doesn't really remember what happened to him. So uh, he basically is hitting a certain point in his studies where he has to dissect a body. Uh, his parents are always pressuring him or were pressuring before he had amnesia to be to not drop out because he wanted to drop out. And... Um, Basically, uh, you start to, it starts to reveal that the body he is dissecting was his ex-girlfriend. And that, that's so twisted. But while he's dissecting her and exploring her, he starts to remember moments of her while he revisits her parents or visits with her parents and explains some of these um, moments that he had with her. But he also starts to have these weird kind of, I would say, hallucinations, um, basically uh, a way to say goodbye in a certain way or reconnect with somebody who's passed and and although he may have some mind or some brain damage you, you you can kind of see that this is his way with dealing with loss and dealing with everything that happened um again there is this um kind of a uh, more kind of extreme sexual nature to it with um, some of the things that they practice um bdsm and strangulation and stuff like that which it always plays kind of a theme in a lot of his movies as well um well whether we have the uh, metal fetish uh, uh, fetishists with Tetsuo or the um, Tokyo um, Fist, we have that kind of uh, sadistic or sadist masochist thing going on. It kind of carries over a little bit in this one. Uh, this one is touching. It's depressing. Uh, but I really enjoyed it as well. And when he goes back and visits the parents and, and starts talking with them and what the father says to him, I think that's a really kind of... Um, 
uh, poignant moment. Uh, it's a really, like I said, it's, it's a really good movie and interesting as hell. And the reveal is pretty crazy. The idea and the special effects are great on the, uh, dissection. It looks pretty, pretty gnarly. Um, and there's a lot of familiar faces in this one. Like I, I know a lot of the more modern Japanese actors and actresses. I, I can't really register their names or anything. Obviously, you guys don't want me to be pronounce trying to pronounce their names. But um, the main teacher in here pops up in some of the uh, more modern samurai movies. I can't remember which one, but he he's been in a slew of these movies, and um, I, I've seen him numerous times. And as well as the girl's father, I've seen him a couple times as well. So uh, yeah, this is the only one that I I noticed that uh, the director was not in out of all ten of the movies. He might not have been Adventures of Denzo, Denshu Kozo. I can't remember. I think he's one of the vampires, actually. But um, he was not in this one. So that, that was a little bit of a change. But uh, also also well-made, well-shot, and uh, just an interesting concept. Uh, the idea of loss and memory and all that kind of stuff in fantasy worlds. But uh, good stuff, for sure. Okay, the next one in the set is Haze, which I'll be the quickest with. This is a short. I think it runs 48 minutes or something like that. Not 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 even an hour. But this one's really kind of a, just a, an exploration of terror and craziness. So um, it's made. It was made dirt cheap, I think, for a film festival or something along those lines. And uh, the director stars in it. He basically wakes up in this weird kind of concrete. Uh, entrapment where he's like uh it's just like this deep and he's stuck in there and he has to crawl through the concrete it's absolutely horrifying especially for anybody who has any claustrophobic tendencies so he's trying to get out and he has to go through all these grueling things and eventually the story starts to turn to something else well where they're kind of confused and paranoid where he meets someone else and they're discussing like um how do we get here how do we get out of here and all that kind of stuff and it, it opens up a bigger picture of what might be happening lots of gooey body parts and paranoia and just weird stuff um like i said this one is uh, shot on digital and <laughs> we know how shot on digital stuff looks now uh, it just doesn't hold up as much and that early digital kind of stuff but um, this one is, is fairly interesting um, probably not to be negative it's probably my least favorite out of all 10 movies on the set but that doesn't mean it's it's a bad one or anything it just was kind of uh, at first it felt like it was gonna be a one-trick kind of torturous movie but um, it gets a little bit better and more interesting as it goes on, but uh, I can I don't absolutely adore this one. I do think it's uh, interesting and it's just just a little bit you know um, not as complex as this other stuff. So yeah.
ちょっと待てよなんだよどうしちゃったんだよ何が起きたんだよOkay, the next one is Kotuko. Did I say that right? Kotuko? You guys know my pronunciation skills are terrible. But、uh, this one is super interesting and it will destroy you. And again, it is exploring some very interesting ideas.、Uh, we have the idea that、um, someone、uh, is this young woman. She has a, a baby and she adores her baby, but she's overprotective. It has this overprotective nature and she obviously is mentally ill,、um, has some conditions going on. So basically, anybody that、um, comes near her baby,、um, she gets very defensive and violent and she's always having to move. And, and the way she handles herself puts the baby in danger and her paranoia and everything like that. And it's, It's kind of horrifying. So,、um, her baby is taken away from her and given to her sister. And she must go through therapy and everything. And for years, she's trying to get better, trying to, you know, fix everything in herself. She starts to、um, kind of mutilate herself, which is again another kind of.、Um, Uh, staple in his movies, where we have that in Tetsuo and we have that in Tokyo Fist. It's just people kind of manipulating their bodies in certain ways. And we have it here. She's cutting herself and everything like that.、Um, she doesn't seem to be getting much better at all. And then she meets、um, the director, it stars in this one. She meets、uh, him, and he's this kind of famous writer. He's much older than her, but he's infatuated with her. And、um, there's some really dark comedic beats when men approach her. She always said she used to wear a wedding ring, so men would. Leave her alone, but I didn't stop her, stop them from approaching her. So at, at points, I'd、uh, follow her around and she'd turn nice just for a second, just so she could jam a fork into their hand. And she does this a couple times.、Um, it's, it actually plays really funny. But、uh, Yeah, she starts to get better and、uh, she eventually visits her son who's grown a couple years older. And these moments where she visits her toddler son are the most adorable scenes in the movie. The little kid is an excellent actor for a little kid. I don't know how they got him to do the scenes. Maybe his parents were on the set or maybe the parents, were, maybe they were one of somebody's kids in the movies. But、um, they're just tremendous. And it's just such a heartwarming moment because we have this character who's so、um, distant and violent and just hates people. But when it comes to her own son, she's just a completely different person. And、there's this like, there's this sense of awkwardness about her, but just genuine love. And eventually,、um, she gets custody of her kid again, and those feelings start to come back where the paranoia and overprotective nature and,、uh, and stuff like that.、Um, the director said he tried to incorporate some kind of like,、um, there's a lot of terroristic things going on in the world at the time, and that is incorporated through you know, the media where she's always constantly seeing these horrible things on the television. At one point, a terrorist attack, she's always turning it off. That, that kind of drives into her paranoia, as I would get, like the Media is kind of always putting these terrible things、uh, on the news and everything, and it's just kind of affecting certain people a certain way. So I, I would see that in there as well. There's like a delusional people on health, like mentally unstable, is another thing he likes to kind of dive into these people that are, are not well mentally,、um, whether they have a condition or they've had some sort of accident or trauma in their lives. So all these themes and everything. And that, he's definitely one of these directors where you can dive in and be like, this is like this, this is like that. And that's interesting to me. And it makes me kind of、um, appreciate his work as a whole in a different aspect. But this one,、uh, like I said, this is one of the best of the, of the bunch. Um, it's, it, it, 
I bawled like a baby almost at the end. Like I had to stop myself. I'm like <laughs> trying to trying to hide the tears and everything. But uh, yeah, it's just it's really sad. The lead in this is actually like a famous singer and everything, and she sings throughout. And uh, she mentions that she has to sing, and that's the only time that she doesn't have like I, I guess it would be vertigo if you see double. Is it is it? Um, I'm not a doctor, obviously. Uh, I can barely review movies, let alone uh, you know do any sort of medical things to anybody or give them a prognosis. Prognosis. I can't even say the word. What's going on here? But regardless, this one um, was one of my favorites of the bunch. Really, really well made, really well acted, and really touching. Uh, great stuff. Interesting, too. そんな恐怖の中で殺されるのは嫌だ。どんな風に叫んで、どんな風に自分を呼んだのか。なぜ私はそこにいなかったのか。Okay, the next one is Killing, which was actually made in 2018, so it's relatively new, which is nice to see something more modern of a his on here. Um, I think Code to Go was 2011, so 2018. Uh, yeah. And it's an hour and twenty. This is another thing I love about his movies. I don't want to be like I don't have attention span or anything, but his movies are like an hour to an hour and thirty minutes, and I love that because um, so many um, films in in general nowadays they just wear out their welcome. They really do. They are not pre they, they they they. What's the first thing to tell you? You got to kill your babies. Everybody thinks they have you know um, <laughs> like uh, the Godfather on their hands with their movie, and it's just like this ten dollar movie is not the Godfather. Cut this shit up. But um, this was not a $10 movie. It's obviously much better than that. But I'm just saying his movies are short and they're personal and they get to the point and they're not over cluttered with junk. So uh, I appreciate that. And especially Japanese films are very long usually for me. Um, uh, you know, like the samurai epics. And this is a samurai movie at an hour and 20 minutes. 
I, I don't think I've ever seen a samurai movie come in that short. You know, I'm used to Kurosawa's three-hour ones or or maybe even Takashi Miike's more modern ones, stuff like that. And they usually run two, three hours, even though they're masterpieces. Um, it was crazy to see an hour and 20-minute runtime. Um, this one is really excellent. This takes place, um, you know, at certain times in Japan. Like, I, I don't know the time periods, but I know that I've seen lots of movies that take place when there are, like, lots of samurais are going to Edo, Japan, and they need to, you know, kind of, uh, the samurai has been kind of, like, you know, looked down upon it's time for them to battle because a lot of movies samurais um, main honor is to actually die in battle because many of them never actually did get to fight so essentially what we have here is this young samurai who's living with these farmers and he's kind of training this young young man just for you know just to train him here and there and helping these farmers out at the at, at around um there's a samurai that comes through the director um comes through and he he's looking for a few good men to go to Edo and fight so he says uh, uh well i'll recruit you and possibly your young friend here who's a farmer and you know he's not a samurai he doesn't come from samurai blood but i'm willing to give him the chance so they're very interested in that but um some bandits kind of like some low rent band it's not necessarily completely evil but uh shady for sure kind of start hanging around the, the small farming community and the farmers are terrified and they don't really like them and they're kind of sleazy scuzzy kind of their appearances are scarier than they actually are. But uh, what happens is there's a scuffle with them. And what I love about this movie is this, you think they're, all these samurais are going to go on this mission. It's going to be like the seven samurai. They're going to meet up and go on this big mission and have a big fight. But no, it, it completely takes different directions. It completely focuses on like three or four characters. It gets really personal. It's not like this big epic. Um, that's what I think a lot of like action or drama movies need to focus on. I, I wouldn't say drama because drama typically does. And this is more drama, not an action, but there is action in it. These kind of storylines i feel like um are underutilized where we have like this just little tiny story like now you see so many movies that it's just like everything has to be the epic end of the world stuff and it's like these little personal things are more um, touching and intriguing to me at this point so essentially what happens is they have a scuffle and, and, and things lead to deaths and all this kind of problems and some some questions are brought up to follow through with this kind of stuff or let it go um interesting characters and uh, uh it brings up some things about the samurai the action I don't know if I love how the action shot. You know, it's very fast cuts and, and weird stuff, but there's some grueling stuff in here, like somebody gets a uh, samurai sword through their cheek and it pins against the wall. And I shouldn't spoil this, but uh, the main samurai, he's, the guy's standing there, and he's like, contemplate your life a little bit. And he cuts the guy's like uh, femoral artery on his leg, and the blood's just pouring down. And I was just like, oh, wow, how, how quick he did that. So he's a brutal killer when he, when he goes for it. But uh, I, I like this, and it ends different. And it's just tragic, too. At the same time, uh, really good stuff. This is the one disc that has a special feature on there where it has a, a 45 minute uh, interview with the director talking about a lot of his movies. And I just like him. Like, I like hearing him talk. Uh, he, about all his movies and he's smart and he doesn't seem like he has some giant ego or anything he's an interesting guy has had an interesting career so hopefully arrow releases some more of his stuff but uh yeah this is a great set really cool um happy to have gotten to check it out and review all of them for you guys but uh solid metal nightmares great stuff great stuff Let's
前の実力を見せてみろ。Okay,、uh, a couple of my patrons actually <laughs> sent some burnout on me or something like that. Heard me on the 22 Shots complaining, because you guys know I'm, I'm great at complaining. So they said, We want your Patreon pick to be of your choice, something that you know, you want to watch. So for Dan the Cameraman, I chose to watch 1972 The Night Stalker, the movie, the TV movie made into a series later on, had a sequel, The Night Strangler. So、um, I had seen some of the TV shows as a kid. My dad was a fan. It would pop up on, like, you know, I don't remember what station. It would be one of those older stations. I don't want to say Nick at Night, but that kind of deal. So、um, my dad always talked about liking this show.、Uh, it stars Darren McGavin. This is the TV pilot that didn't get picked up, but、um, it's an hour and 15 minutes. Perfect time for this kind of thing. And let me get through the cast first.、Uh, Darren, McGavin, Darren McGavin, you know, from stuff like.、Uh, Christmas Story,、uh, Billy Madison, tons of movies, Dead Heat, guys in lots of stuff.、Um, Ralph Meeker, who's fucking fantastic in this movie.、Uh, Ralph Meeker, The Dirty Dozen, and I want to say he's in Food of the Gods, if I'm not mistaken.、Um, Claude Atkins from Return of the Magnificent Seven, and Jesus, is, is he the asshole in Real Bravo who throws the dollar in the,、uh, the, the spittoon and、uh, wants Dean Martin to get it out? I think it is him. Man, it sure, it sure reminds me of him. He's also in The Devil's Brigade. And then we have、um, Simon Oakland from Psycho and Hunting Party.、Um, we got a really nice, and、um, uh, what is that? Jeez, what is that one with、uh, Shadow's Land? So we got a really nice cast in here.、Uh, A lot of good character actors.、Uh, Darren McGavin is this big time news reporter that kind of breaks all the rules. So he gets sent down to like this small little area. I can't figure, where is it? San Francisco or something like that. Small little newspaper run by Simon Oakland, who's always tired of his shit because he's always trying to push the buttons and get the big story and all that kind of stuff. Darren McGavin is tremendous in this movie. I love him.、Um, so, anyways, there's、uh, these murders going on, and it appears that all the victims are drained of blood.、Um, he wants to start pushing the story that this guy thinks he's a vampire. And he's Starts to investigate more. Simon Oakland, his boss, doesn't want that.、Um, Ralph Meeker's his friend who has, you know, I think he works, I want to say the FBI, so he has some insider information. He's always helping him. And Claude Atkins is、uh, the, the sheriff, and he doesn't want the story to go alive. And Claude Atkins plays that big, kind of mean asshole, authoritarian figure, which he's played a couple of times, and he does a pretty good job at that kind of big, mean guy.、Um, intimidating. So、uh, Darren McGavin starts to dig deeper, and he starts to realize that this is a vampire. And this vampire is terrible. 
terrifying. Um, and I love how it's shot in like a matter of fact. Like it, it, it's like as if vampires don't exist and everybody doesn't want to admit that it's a freaking vampire in the news conferences and people being questioned and getting upset because they know there'll be a panic. It's just wonderful. And Kino remastered this bad boy. It looks great. Sounds great. I was amazed. It's in full screen. It was made for TV. But um, watching this, I was like, I can't believe this looks this freaking good. I was super excited. This was one of my favorite movies I've seen this year so far. Uh, I, I loved it. Um, and, and of course, Darren McGavin's always, you know, pushing buttons. So the, the way that he gets done at the end is pretty, pretty crazy. You know, he's going to be fine because there's a sequel in a series. But yeah. Uh, but but Ralph Meeker's face in this movie when he knows he screwed him over and he can't do nothing he just looks so miserable and sorry like it's like I've seen that face on people so many freaking times um, but anyways love it love the cast the vampire is so creepy did I mention that he looks so gross and he's just got his weird nose and him running through and beating the shit out of people and how he pick uh, picks the, all the victims and stuff just really really good stuff uh, and I like how Darren McGavin's such a, a intense and intelligent sleuth and he figures all this shit out and everything. But uh, yeah, this one does have some features I did not get to dig into. It has a commentary by Tim Lucas, commentary with the director, interview, interview with the director, interview with the composer, and then we have, it looks like a vintage Dan Curtis interview. Dan Curtis also produced this. You guys don't know Dan Curtis. Dan Curtis produced like every TV horror movie from the 70s. Uh, you know, he had his Dracula, his Dorian Gray, his Dead of Night. So Dan Curtis is kind of like, um, you know, I don't hear his name brought up a lot, but uh, Trilogy of Terror, he's done a lot of stuff. So um, when you think 70s, um, especially te 70s television horror, I mean, Dan Curtis is like number one, right? So anyways, The Night Stalker, fantastic. Um, love the hell out of it. Going to watch The Night Strangler soon. So I'm glad that Dan, the cameraman, let me pick one because it was one that I've been thinking about watching for a long time and I've always wanted to see it. And I see some of the episodes here and there, but uh, tremendous. Great stuff. Does that surprise you? Look, Carl, you're not the only one that likes to play detective. The police, the sheriff boys, they all think they're pretty good. And they don't need you. You know, you really make me feel wanted. We've had three murders in town, Bernie. We have one tremendously strong guy, maybe more, who goes around killing young girls. And they all lost a lot of blood. Hey, you weren't supposed to know about that. No, I'm not supposed to know about that. That I know. What about you people down at the bureau? No, this is nothing for the Bureau to mess with at this stage. Yeah, well, you could make some unofficial inquiries for me. Like? Well, like, you could check around the country and check all the hospitals and see if any of them have had uh, corpses recently, like ours, you know, all with a big loss of blood. You could check all the uh, insane asylums across the country, the bug houses, see if they released recently a nut who thinks he's Count Dracula, even if he's done nothing to prove it. Do you believe in vampires, little boy? Oh, that's funny. That's very funny. It's very funny, Bernie. Haha. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Are you gonna sit like a cheap gun of guzzling my beer? I'll think about it, okay? <laughs> Meanwhile, I hope it doesn't disillusion you to know that the local law enforcement people go along with your views. Huh? Somewhat. At this moment, they're waiting for a special report from the coroner. The two pathology experts who were flown out from LAP. Oh, yeah? Along with a small truck out of the clip. Hey. Oh, hi, Marilyn. How are you? Hey, I like your luncheon place. Yeah. Well, say, if you want to hear the special report, meet me at the sheriff's office. Starts at 6.30. Hey, Tang. Don't thank me. Just be there. Where are you going? Oh.
Jack. Hi, Carl. I just thought you'd like to know I heard the Parkway Hospital was knocked over. Yeah, knocked over for what? Cash, drugs, equipment, what? Blood. That's right. Every container in the place, their entire stock. What about blood type? Seems blood type and RH factor didn't much matter. John. Can't stop now. See you. Yeah, but... Okay, uh, Jonathan Wilhelm did the same, and I know he's a big Western fan. He's a patron, so he let me pick my own, and I picked the weekly Western. Let's go. Why not? Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! Say when. <laughs> is Yulanza's Raid uh, by Robert Aldridge. Yeah, you can't beat Robert Aldridge. Dirty Dozen, Emperor of the North, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Burt Lancaster's in this, Bruce Davidson, Richard Jekyll. It's got a really good cast. So the plot here is Yulanza is a Native American. He is very upset. He's going on a raid. So everybody in this whole trail that's in there, they're going to kill, steal everything they can get, you know. And uh, this is, you know... You know, the politically incorrect Native Americans that were shown in a lot of movies. They're violent. They're they're essentially, you know, all-purpose with these. They're savages. They rape. They pillage. They kill everything they come in contact with. They're upset. Um, so, Burt Lancaster is kind of, not necessarily, he works for the military, but he's not really a Union soldier. Um, and uh, Bruce Davidson is a young, I think he's like a lieutenant, maybe. Yeah, I think he's a young lieutenant. He is basically sent out to stop this raid with some men and everything like that. And they send Burt Lancaster with him because he knows a lot about Native Americans. They also send his guide, basically um, Burt Lancaster's friend, who's like a Native American, who knows, you know, how to track in and Native Americans and, uh, and everything like that. So, essentially, what we have here is uh, a lot of, you know, tracing and uh, finding these people and everything, and lots of, you know, trickery and intelligent ways to outsmart each other. But the first 20 minutes of this movie, my jaw about hit the floor. I had heard this is, you know, kind of a rough movie for the time, and it's got some really ugly things in there. And uh, boy, does it, for sure. Like, the hate that the Native Americans have towards the white man and the white man has for the Native Americans is unparalleled. You know, I mean, it was, they, they, I mean, for anything. Like, they, they just 
just can't stand each other. I mean, I should say that the hate for the Native Americans that the white and vice versa is paralleled among each other. So they just can't stand each other. So right in the first like 30 minutes of this movie, the Yolanda is, is leading the raid and he's basically... Yolanda's going to just do this whole raid where he rape and pillages anything he comes in contact with, take their horses, yada, et cetera, et cetera. Him and about eight other Native Americans that are in his, his group. So they, uh, they are, are about to attack this wagon. And uh, there's a young boy and a, a woman, and there's a soldier who's kind of in the area. And he turns back and he sees what's happening. And uh, the, she's like, "Help me, help me!" So he rides back, and you're like, "Oh, he's gonna, you know, try to fight off the Native Americans, maybe pull these two to safety, do something." No, what he does is he point blank, boom, shoots her in the head, and then grabs the kid and tries to save him because he realized that he could not let the Native Americans get the woman because they would rape and and everything, rape her and just torture her to death, and so he tries to escape but um you know it doesn't look very good for him so essentially the whole movie is richard jekyll burt lancaster bruce davidson trying to find them and kill them and yolanda trying to you know get kill them yada etc but um there's lots of interesting discussions because burt lancaster he basically says i don't hate native americans it's like hating the desert for being hot or something like that so he kind of understands them and he's a more interesting character a deeper character while bruce davidson comes from a religious background and he doesn't believe that man has the capacity to be evil so it's him constantly trying trying to fight with the idea that um, these could be savages or these could be violent people. While we also have the interesting character that Burt Lancaster has, like a friend who's Native American who helps him track everything. So he's like, I signed the paper, so I'll do what I what I signed to do. So it, it's kind of a really interesting character study in a lot of ways, too. Burt Lancaster's tremendous in it. Uh, Bruce Davidson's really solid in it. Um, Richard Jekyll's always great. Love Richard Jekyll. Dirty Dozen again, man. It's, everybody's in the Dirty Dozen. He's also in Devil's Brigade. Again, that's what I'm brought up. But yeah, um, he's in lots of stuff. But uh, and Grizzly for you horror fans out there. But he's really good in this and solid as well. Always liked him. Uh, but anyways, this is a really kind of a dark movie in a lot of in a lot of ways. And, and the Native Americans do some trickery, which I love. One carries around like a horn, you know, like a, a da -da 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 -da. so like if they they use that horn to draw people out to safety that they think that the military brigade is coming or something like that. So lots of clever moments, uh, lots of dark stuff, and it ends on such a um, depressing. It's a depressing movie to be honest. But uh, yeah, and the difference between the, the uh, the hatred that the Native Americans and the white men have for each other is pretty much matched. They do horrible things to each other all the time. But great movie, great movie. I know this one has some features on it as well. I didn't get a chance to listen to audio commentary by film critic Nick Pinkerton and interviews with co-star Bruce Davidson and a trailer from Hell with John Landis. So anyways, I really enjoyed this one. Good stuff. Very recommended. First Geronimo, then Cochise, and now the bloodiest Apache of them all, Olzana. Olzana, the army sent a patrol commanded by a fledgling lieutenant and his advisor, a battle-scarred scout. The scout, Bert Lancaster. The lieutenant, Bruce Davison. The sergeant, Richard Jaco. Leave that body where it is. It needs burying. I want the Apache scout to do that. Damn it, lieutenant. You're not making any sense. Now look, Mr. McIntosh, that used to be a white man. Like yourself, a white man. Cut her loose. She's not dead. Why do you suppose they spared Mrs. Reardon? Maybe they thought she was dead. Luzana, leave woman for you to find. Dad. Dad. 
If they come back, promise me. You won't let them take me. Promise me. Osana's intentions are. Their probable intention is to burn, maim, torture, and murder. Where will he fight us? You don't mean to fight you no place, Lieutenant. He only means to kill you. Burt Lancaster in Ozana's raid. Deserves got nothing to do with it. When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. Okay, now we're going to be in that run through 91, and we're going to start it off with Adam's Family. That's right, I'm covering the Adam's Family. Is it going to be counted as a horror movie? I don't know. Is it going to make my top 10? Probably not. But uh, the, I've always appreciated the sequel a little bit more, Adam's Family value. So I hadn't seen Adam's Family in a long time, but I remembered a lot of the things in here. You know, it was a movie that I watched a couple times, and I always felt like it, it should have been a Tim, like it was a Tim Burton movie. I knew it wasn't, but like it has that same kind of style as like a Tim Burton movie. So, you know, like after Beetlejuice and Batman. Um, you just feel like it could have been a Burton and Edward Scissorhands. So anyways, uh, yep, we have a really good cast in here. And Angelica Houston as Morticia Adams. She's uh, uh, Christopher Lloyd as Fester Adams, or is he? And geez, I can't believe why Raw Julia as Gomez, who is freaking fantastic in here we have christina ricci as gomez dan hiaya who else pops up in here so yeah there's some other familiar faces too i actually don't know if pugsley was in anything else is that the same kid pet cemetery too i feel like it is but uh it's probably not uh so anyways this story follows um the adams family or the creepy guy family that obviously based off the tv series that live in this big mansion um oh carl St carl whatever his name is um lurch he's basically in twilight servants of twilight as well and dr sleep is in here as lurch of course but um they basically live in this spooky mansion that's dilapidated and they're really weird and odd and they do crazy things but they love each other um this whole plot is basically fester uh went missing after him and gomez had a fight he disappeared in the bermuda triangle so um, Dan Hiaia is their lawyer and uh, basically he figures a way that they can make a bunch of movies uh, money because he owes these people money these collectors, these debt collectors and um, the, the lady uh, has a son that looks like Fester his name is Gordon, so they decide to dress Gordon up like Fester and try to pass him off as, you know, the real Fester to get to the gold and riches that the Adams family have. Um, that's what's really weird about this, because the way they describe that and the way it turns out to be, you're like, what? Was he Fester? I guess he was Fester? Or maybe, I don't know, it feels like reshoots, feels real weird. But there's some really quirky, goofy stuff here. Um, the way the house is built and all the weird booby traps are really fun. The thing looks pretty cool, too. Um, Cousin Ed is very funny. Uh, but yeah, like the whole cemetery scene explaining all the relatives is, is cute. And, uh, I love how Morticia and Gomez talk to each other. That's probably the funniest stuff in here. All around, it's kind of 90s weirdo fun family, you know, family fun. I would recommend checking it out. I don't have much to say about it, but, uh, it's enjoyable and I liked it. I mean, there's nothing, I really have anything really deep hatred or anything. I enjoy it. I like the movie. Um, but I would really like to rewatch Adam Family Values. I think that's Joan Cusack in that one. This is like the serial killer and the summer camp. I feel like that one's funner, a little bit darker and goofier and just more fun for me. But uh, yeah, and we also don't have that weird Fester storyline, which is just strange to me. But yeah.
salt. What do we say? Now. Children! Put down that antenna. <laughs> I'm blinded by such beauty. How can I compete? You're twice the woman I am. Look, a new chapter. Don't torture yourself, Gomez. That's my job. Okay, the next to run through 91 is Teenage Exorcist. Teenage Exorcist. That's right, because that's all that's sticking in my head from this movie. Um, this is, uh, it's not directed by Fred Olin Ray, but it's produced by it. I think the guy did one other movie, I can't remember. But yeah, this has uh, Brink Stevens, uh, Robert Corey, Michael Berryman is in here. And there's, I feel like there's other people, but this movie is ridiculous. Michael Berryman is basically in the first five minutes and the last two minutes. Um, fun, fun cameo, funny cameo. He sells Brink Stevens uh, this house for rent, this big mansion for like $50 a month or something like that. But it's that whole scene's really funny. In fact, the first like 45 minutes of like, I was really into the dialogue. I thought it was witty. I thought it was clever. I was laughing the whole time. Um, basically selling a house and he's like, it's $50 a month. And she's like, 50? He's like, all right, 25, final offer. Because the house is clearly obvious, is haunted and everything like that. So uh, basically Brink Stevens moves into the house. She immediately gets possessed. Um, her sister comes over with her way older boyfriend, who's really funny. He reminds me, of, I guess you'd say Ed Helms type, but he's really clever and funny and has a lot of good dialogue. He always has a pipe. And this guy that's obsessed with Brink Stevens, who's really like just this guy doesn't know what no means but he comes over and he's just like they basically all get tied into this big um trying to like you know exercise bring stevens At one point she turns into a dog they call robert Corey, who's a priest he's very funny in it like this over-the-top irish priest um at one point he uh talks to all these zombies and becomes friends with them really weird scene funny though um basically they try to exercise her that's the plot of the movie. Oh, I forgot. Eddie Deason's in here. And would it be a 90s movie if somebody didn't accidentally call the pizza place and get a bunch of pizza with Eddie Deason delivering it? I don't think it would be. Man, this feels like one of those Jim Wynorski's like Hard to Die or Sporty House Massacre Part 2 movies. Um, it feels like this could be in that series if you just add that uh, Orville guy in the movie or something. Um, but... It's kind of funny. I'm not going to lie. It's really goofy. It has, you know, your 90s kind of like nudity that they're definitely trying to get you in there. Um, I laughed more than I should have laughed um, with a guy walking around in a dress and it's like with a pipe and just being so serious. And the way he delivers his dialogue is really funny. Um, Bring Stevens looks good. Um, she does. She does all right. Um, there's some zombies that are goofy and stuff and some uh, some ridiculous horror movies. Uh, horror moments, I mean, like, like you know, lighting and all that kind of stuff. And, oh, I can't believe I'm, i i got to mention that they try to pass off two albino ferrets as rats. Come on, guys. <laughs> and they keep bringing it up and showing them. I, I guess that's part of the joke. Um, it's cheesy, it's funny, and it's got great theme music. Uh, it's, it's not a great movie, but it's kind of entertaining, and it definitely feels like 91. It, yeah, so. Coming soon from AIP Home Video. Teenage Exorcist. Prim and proper Diane, Brink Stevens, gets one hell of a deal when she rents an old house from creepy realtor Michael Berryman. I don't have to remind you what a deal you're getting. When Diane takes possession of the house. The house begins to
to take possession of her. Terrified after a ghastly nightmare, she calls her sister and brother-in-law for help. When they arrive, they find Diane is transformed into a sexy, smoking, drinking, chainsaw-wielding seductress. And she's hell-bent on pleasing the demons that possess her. In desperation, a priest is called in. Thank you for coming so quickly, Father McFerrin. Where's the last defense against the demons of hell? Can you feel the power? He's taking command of her soul. of darkness and i must have special dispensation why didn't you say so no problem special with the words yes yes everything the priest summons up the powers of a local pizza delivery boy eddie Deason. now it's a battle against the walking dead virgin sacrifice all the demons of hell and a pizza oh that bites back. I think I dialed the wrong number. Teenage Exorcist. She'll turn your head all the way around. Coming soon from AIP Home Video. Okay, another one from 91 is uh, Kingdom of the Vampire. This has both versions, the 2007 and the 2000, the 91 version. I'm going to be talking about the 91. You guys know how I feel about Tempe. I grew up with Tempe. Uh, if you guys watch the early videos, I'm probably talking up Tempe a, a lot. Um, when I was 13, I used to message them online and be really annoying and just keep talking about them. And I, they were so nice to me. They should have just told me to shut up. But uh, anyways, Kingdom of the Vampire. I, I watched... All their movies almost that they put out that were directed by J.R. Bookwalter early and stuff. And then like Skinned Alive and all that stuff. But for some reason, I never watched Kingdom of the Vampire. This is one of six movies made in six months produced by David Dakota. The other ones include Zombie Cop, also from 91. Uh, Maximum Impact. Chick Boxer. Galaxy of the Dinosaurs. Humanoids from Atlantis. Did I get them all? So we got Kingdom of the Vampire, Zombie Cop, Humanoids from Atlantis, Maximum Impact, Chick Boxer, and Galaxy of the Dinosaurs. I said that one. Jeez, I cannot remember the other one. I think I said it at one point. But uh, yeah, you got six movies shot in six months. Dirt cheap. Sent out a home video, put out the VHSs. I had the VHS of Kingdom of the Vampires. Maybe I should pull that out and show you guys that too. It's in here somewhere. I know it's sitting there. There it is. I'm going to show you guys. I know this is... This bad boy is still sealed. How ridiculous is that? I bet not many people have a sealed copy of Kingdom of the Vampire. But, uh, yeah, so this is the only one I didn't watch. Like I said, I don't know why. It stars Matthew Jason Walsh, who was a screenwriter, and he directed a couple movies, Bloodletting, which I absolutely adore. Um, 
this is a SOV movie. It's dirt cheap. So the acting is, eh, you know, it, it ranges quite a bit, actually. So uh, Matthew Jason Walsh is kind of like a pushover kid, vampire, I mentioned, that works the night shift at like a gas station, in and out mart. It's more of an in and out mart. And uh, his wife is very bossy and mean and evil. And they're the last of their kind. They're the last of the vampires. And she's abusive. And Matthew Jason Walsh doesn't want to be a vampire. He doesn't want to kill. He's just nice and sweet, and he doesn't know what to do. But his mother's pushing him, and that's kind of the plot of the movie. Matthew Jason Wall starts to fall in love, and uh, his and he has to clean up the murders of his, his mom. The movie doesn't really pull many punches. I mean, um, it's not gratuitously gory or, like, um, explicit, but they kill a kid, they kill a kitten, uh, people die. So it's got some really kind of... Uh, it, it's not precious with who it kills. It kills whoever is in it. Um like I said, I, I, the acting is iffy. Some of the, the plot points, how it gets to certain points are like, eh, that's a lot of exposition crap or bullshit, or it doesn't let it soak long enough. It just kind of jumps right into it. And uh, whatever. I think the mom is pretty decent. I think that she does a good job. She's chewing the scenery, but she's intimidating and solid and everything like that. Um, there's lots of shout-outs to other Tempe movies in here. You'll see the lead, um, one of the lead killers from Skinned Alive come into the uh, the gas station, which they use also in Zombie Cop and probably all their other movies. But uh, come into the like the In-N-Out Mart, and the song on the radio is Saturday night is the night to have your fun. And that's used a lot in Skinned Alive, or it's in Skinned Alive during a sex scene or almost sex scene between brother and sister. So that, you hear that, so that's a little shout-out there. The kid in Halloween is dressed up as a robot ninja you guys get it right so there's lots of these little shout outs here and there i think this one's decent for a shot on video movie and i think it's got a good plot it's probably uh, the plot's good enough to remake obviously they did it in 2007 so i'll have to check that one out eventually but um i do like the music also done by matthew jason walsh for that kind of synthy stuff but um decent story and uh not bad pretty pretty short runtime. so yeah kingdom of the vampire you and i are the last of a proud people jeff our tribes once covered this miserable earth and ruled it, feeding off of these sheep. Our kingdom was vast. I've never met anyone like you before. Where were you last night? I'm just out doing stuff, Mom. There's nothing scary about death. Tomorrow night, we are going to have a little company, you and I. A nice, warm little child. No more killing! How dare you issue commands to me? <laughs> and so are me! Okay, the next one is another 91, and this is Zombie Cop. This is a five-disc set with five of the six movies that were released at that time. Like I said, it has Zombie Cop on there. And then here's my VHS from Cinema Home Video. That's right. Um, so, yeah, Zombie Cop. I had seen this one before. I love zombies growing up. I love Tempe, so how could I not see Zombie Cop? Um, this one's dirt cheap. Again, it has uh, a couple familiar faces. The guy from Maximum Impact is in here. Uh, Michael Kemper, who I think is in a couple things. James Black is in here from Ozone and a couple of their movies, Galaxy of the Dinosaurs. So, yeah, and it has a cameo by J.R. Bookwalter. Uh, okay, 
the plot's ridiculous. We have this child killer who's into voodoo, uh, and he basically wants to cleanse the souls of the innocents. So he practices in voodoo. One day, uh, Michael Kemper, the cop, and his partner get involved. They killed his brother, and he has some bad blood, so he kind of lures him there. Uh, he throws this weird shit into the cop's face. Um, they both die, the Haitian guy and the cop, or the voodoo guy. And they both come back to life. The voodoo guy wants to turn as many kids into zombies as he can. And the cop wants to stop him. He's a zombie cop. So he wraps himself with bandages and him and his partner kind of try to stop this. There's lots of, there's a couple lines from RoboCop. You can get it. You understand it. You know, uh, Bill Morrison and James L. Edwards are both in it playing pretty much Buddy and Scully, who they play in Skinned Alive. Do they play him in Skinned Alive? I think they do. Well, uh, Scully, uh, James Earl Edwards kind of plays that role and they play him in Robot Ninja at the same time. So I feel like they like keep repeating these characters. They always pop up as these same two kind of goons or whatever. So yeah, basically it's just a lot of zombie cop trying to find out where Dr. Death is and fighting him in a hilariously goofy kind of ways. So yeah, there's some outdated humor involving an Indian store clerk which is absolutely ridiculous, but it is what it is. Um, you hear the same, you see the same store, you hear the same song. It's Saturday night. Uh, so dirt cheap movie, very cheap. Um, it, it can be funny at times. There's some like goofy lines, of course, uh, the zombie cop making really angry faces like, eh. I don't know. It, it is what it is. It's an SOV movie made zombie cop. Um, I, I don't want to sound too negative against Tempe because I obviously grew up with it and enjoy it, but like there's stuff like, um, dead next door and robot ninja and skin alive and bloodletting are much, much more powerful, you know, or are much better than these. These were six movies made in six months. So, and stuff like Ozone, Sandman, and Polymorph also much better. So, you know, I, I would stick with those before you check out these. But um, if you like those a lot, then check these ones out. But yeah, like I said, uh, back in the day, I think J.R. Bookwalter took his name off these. They were they were put as Lance Randalls. So, yeah. Anyways, if it sounds like it's up your alley, check it out. Those bad movie police set comes with commentaries that I think kind of make fun of the movie. You know, kind of like spoofing it or kind of like Elvira kind of deal. So, yeah. <laughs> Four King 30, we are on the scene. Potential hostage situation. Breach! <laughs> Christ, it's death. I curse you, kill your boss. We'll walk the earth for eternity. <laughs> Okay, and the last uh, run through 91 is The Zombie Army from Video Outlaw. And this is a rewatch on this one. I hadn't seen it in years. Uh, so, I, so I put this in and I'm like, okay, this had a reissue on VHS, so if you're interested, it'll be somewhere you can buy. Um, Dirt Cheap, 91. Um, <laughs> this story's ridiculous. So it opens up and we have this doctor telling this this classroom this story like these the students uh these wannabe doctors or wannabe doctors <laughs> students this story about this story about this guy he's like well this this guy basically um 
this patient of this doctor was his number one patient. He had, was a crazy, you know, basically a sociopath his whole life. When he was young, he killed his sister. He went through medical treatment, got released, fooled everybody, killed his mom, killed his first girlfriend, started to lobotomize people, etc., etc. Then you realize the guy who's telling the story is that guy and then they pull him away and they send him in an institution and they lock him and his girlfriend um he also has this weird thing where he destroys toys he likes burn these little toy soldiers they lock him and his his asylum girlfriend i guess i'll say in like this area and then the asylum gets closed down they forgot about him and uh years later this military um like faction or whatever group buys the place to train troops in so they open up the asylum they accidentally release them and those two uh basically dead pit style um start creating an army of zombies the zombie army so he starts to lobotomize all these soldiers and turns them to zombies and it's kind of goofy and funny it's supposed to be kind of funny so the zombies kind of end up walking around and eating guts and everything and then um putting it turning everybody to zombies and soldiers basically have to fight them most useless soldiers ever they're so easily killed they don't do anything 90 percent of them don't fire their guns but you get it so everybody keeps getting ripped apart it's really hard to know who anybody is because by the time anybody's introduced they're already dead and uh the picture quality is not great. It's a, it's a SOV. Um, so pretty much everybody's introduced and then killed immediately. Um, they figure out that they got to fry him with battery acid. So it's gory. It's bloody. There's heads explosions. So uh, half of it feels like a music video because there's a lot, a lot of music playing during it, during a lot of these scenes. So I... Uh, you know it is what it is it's gory it's it's goofy it has some humor some of the zombie makeup is actually pretty solid and the gore is better than you would expect it's uh much more elaborate or much more put into it than the six movies made for six months by tempe so i was just talking about so so like i said and the idea is, is okay and there there is um a really fun moment that I really do like at the end where the guy asked him if they'd rather go to a San Asylum or Hawaii and they all scream Hawaii and then the guy smiles. I'm like, yeah, I would have done the same thing. You know, when you're younger, like people must know the truth, but then you get older, you're like, I don't care about any of this. I don't want to remember this. I just want to go to Hawaii and not worry about this ever again. So it's exactly what I would have done. But, uh, yeah, uh, there's also this weird, this moment where they shoehorn in some nudity and also it does lead to a part where you know that kind of explains why some of the people get away but it's definitely a moment to shoe in a bunch of nudity like in a, and kind of a, a gratuitous sex scene which i'm not complaining because it's probably the best part of the movie um but if you want to see a bunch of zombies eat people and um say surgery surgery um uh what is it not surgery it's a uh, geez uh not surgery what do they keep saying Oh, man, it's right at the tip of my tongue. They're like, uh, I basically, whatever. It doesn't matter. But Zombie Army, uh, goofy, SOV, gory, um, pretty rare probably, to be honest. So if it sounds like it's up your alley, check it out. I, I don't have much to say about it. If you think politicians are slime, then you haven't had to face the Zombie Army. These aren't your everyday walking dead. They've been trained to kill and now they're out recruiting. You want guts? I want guts! Trapped in a former insane asylum, the lethal ladies of Company B are the last ditch defense against an army of zombies. Be prepared to puke in your boots because this is the mother of all zombie movies. The Zombie Army, the world's first zombie combat rock music video. We're here for Blind Spot this week. We switched it up. We were going to do M, but uh, didn't have three hours this week. So we're going to put it into the spot where um, originally 
Quidon was, so we'll switch those two. And I decided to push last broadcast into this spot, so it's kind of closer to where it should be. Yeah. Um, last broadcast is my pick. Mm-hmm. And next week, before we forget, um, there might be a mix-up, so we're, we're going to just, you'll be surprised next week what it is. We have some changes. Um, not anything's being taken off, but we might switch a spot for it. But uh, the last broadcast was my pick. I always wanted to see it, and it's probably the most, it's definitely the most low-budget movie on the list. Right, so far. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I was worried that, because it was my pick, it was probably going to be, it, it had the potential to be the worst, right? To be an actual bad movie. Mm-hmm. Because I know that it has a, it's kind of like supposedly a hidden gem. The story of this one is it came out, like, it was made, I think, even before the Blair Witch Project, but was released the same year. Um, well, Blair Witch um, got a bunch of recognition and everything. Um, the last broadcast got none. They're essentially a very close, similar plot. Um, which is basically a rip from Cannibal Holocaust, where some people go missing, and then we hear people talk about them, then we get the footage. This mm-hmm. one's a little bit different because it's all mixed in the one in the court case. It's kind of like uh, a mockumentary-style crime, true crime stuff, and it really feels legit. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the movie of the, or the title of the movie is The Last Broadcast. Yes. Um, and, yeah, so it's different in the Blair Witch in the sense that the Blair Witch is mostly just the found footage. I don't think there's any documentary aspect. Yeah, I wow. feel like, is it the Curse of the Blair Witch, which was made, I, I don't remember if that was shown on the same tape or before, because they have all these people interviewed about the people missing. Yeah. And I remember that more than I actually do the Blair Witch. See, I, I mean, it's been so long. Yeah. I haven't seen Blair Witch since it came out back in, what, 97? 98, I think. 98. Maybe 99, somewhere around there. Yeah. But uh, I was impressed with this one. Mm-hmm. It, such an easy watch. Kept my interest. Um, I, I like true crime, but this legit felt like a real case the whole time. I thought maybe it was going to jump the shark. And uh, the ending does jump the shark a little bit, mm-hmm. but not to the point. It just changes filming techniques and everything right. like that. But it doesn't jump the shark where it's like... Oh, here's a giant Jersey Devil monster tearing up the city or anything like that. So uh, mm-hmm. the basic plot is four filmmakers, um, two guys are kind of like, had this like, it looks like a cable access television yeah. show. It's really bad. They make uh, kind of these weird shows. And one day they're suggested they do a show in the Pine Barrens about the Jersey Devil. So they uh, basically recruit a sound guy and this weird psychic. And they go out into the woods and only the psychic comes back. Um, he's a strange guy and this court case pretty much mounts everything against him and accuses him of the murders. It doesn't look very good for him. And this movie basically follows a documentarian trying to figure out what really happened. Kind of like if, it, if they made a movie about people making the West Memphis 3 documentary yeah, but it was very... fictionalized. It's really mm-hmm. weird. Um, and also, uh, <laughs> I think that this documentary is more unbiased than the West Memphis 3 documentary. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think this is if this was real this would feel less exploitative than that documentary like like if we can talk about the the last memphis three the or whatever, Mem- the, yeah. yeah west memphis paradise um, lost yeah um the first one is a fantastic film the second one is pure exploitation yeah, i love it and there's about 20 minutes of just a guy burning gasoline and like screaming into the camera um but uh i like the second one best because it just follows a crazy person <laughs> mm-hmm. i haven't watched those in a while no, i might not no. feel the same way but, uh, yeah, we're, I, I just don't know how to put it about this one. It's super clever. It's super well mm-hmm. made. The way it's, it's just like, it's not gratuitous, but it's creepy as hell. Like, the right. whole time I kept changing my idea, like, I think this guy did it. No way, he couldn't have done it. 
And then they leave the, a lot of the little clues and, and things like not solved or a little bit vague. Mm-hmm. So that nobody really knows what the hell happened. And, and they show how like basically the media, you know, made it a big circus, media circus, and how the police did shoddy work. And it's so funny comparing this directly with the West Memphis 3 case because it's almost like it's very similar. <laughs> like sometimes these cops get tunnel vision and they want the case closed. They said it was an election year. It's so on the nose. It's so perfect. Oh, yeah. Um, like I like this one because like, I, I'm not a big fan of, like, the found footage, and I really am more of a fan of, like, the documentary yeah. stuff. Um, and, and I think this does a really nice bit with the documentary. Like, they had different guests, different, yeah. like, hosts that they're interviewing. Um, and I really like the fact that they tie in the early internet so much yeah. because there is something horrific about early internet. I don't know what it is. I grew up with it. IRC and I- chats yeah, and everything. Yeah, IRC chats all the time and that's a, a main component in this. So it's like... And it ties into the case yeah. directly in a, in a horrific way. Yes, and it, it's just like... I, I always like when, when early internet is a thing. Not so much in like horror movies per se... Yeah. But not just, like Strangeland with uh, <laughs> what was it, Captain Howdy and uh, D. Snyder. D. Snyder basically remember that you ever seen that one? No, I've never seen that one. Oh, it's D. Snyder from Twisted Sister, and he's like this guy. He's like a big body modification guy, tattoos, and he picks up girls on the internet and basically tortures them with like body modification. You see, I like like real internet stuff. Okay. Like you know, like like yeah, we just used IRC and somebody sent this creepy video and more like creepy pasta, but from 1995. Yeah, just like okay. going to all these like defunct angel fire sites and ms boards it's like oh, okay what we got going on here and you'd order weird bootleg cakes exactly. or like bloodstorm video and shit like i miss that time because now the internet's just a cesspool i don't really i only go to like three websites you know what's funny i'm gonna be brutally honest there was more information to be had on the internet when i was a kid like i literally could go to a site and read tons of information about obscure zombie movie like mm-hmm. zombie army or something like that and read information on it now i search zombie army and it's just some guy like everybody's a goddamn zombie on their arm is coming it's just like a bunch of blabbling morons like like <laughs> i i feel like like early internet is um i know we're talking too much about early internet but um early internet is like it's just people lying all the time they're just <laughs> lying and making stuff up and that's cool yeah, i like now it's the internet now what are you but, talking but now about the internet, it's like it's like it's like three main sites you go to and it's everybody has the same exact article it's just you know yeah and like, they just copy and paste everybody's article nobody yeah, has information it's of their like, own. give me that that early internet oh. back with like yeah but the way they set up Jim, like you really expect, suspect him at first, and mm-hmm. like the way the cop is, you can't. You know how I said about cops with tunnel vision, they don't show you all the case. So at first you're like, you know, I kind of agree with the cop, and then they go deeper into the case, and you're like, well, he should have looked in there. But there's these weird elements of it that never come together until the very ending, and I'm right. not really sure how I feel about the ending, to be honest. I'm not sure if I like how they switched the the style, like the documentary style, a little bit. And I didn't really see the twist coming, but there's a lot of anticipation because at one point there's a, a lost tape that's found, the final tape that um, is no longer really in use to solve the case. I mean, it's there to solve the case, but it's not going to get anybody exonerated or anything like that. Right. But it, the anticipation is ridiculous to see them try to fix this tape so we can view it. And the way it's altered, it's so much more clever than, like, the shitty movies you'll watch that are bad found footage movies will be like, we're rendering a demonic presence, and then the camera will just start jumbling mess. It's like, no, there's a legitimate reason why this footage is messed up, and it actually, it's a plot device, and it's an anticipation device for the audience. It's, mm. it's, it's like that because somebody smashed the fucking camera because they murdered the people holding them. <laughs> <It's> right. Like, <laughs> so... Like- 
I mean, one is I really like the Jersey Devil. Like, I just always find that to be a fun miss. So this was just engaging to watch from the get-go. Um, they talk nothing about the Jersey yeah, Devil they, or the history no of the Jersey Devil. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, we're going to look for the Jersey Devil. Nothing. No, no history. No nothing. These guys Whatever. are these guys are buffoons though. Like the yeah, two they that run buffoons. the fact or fiction show in the opening. They're like the one guy has a line like, "Is it just like fact and fiction?" We're like, "Is he talking about like that TV show?" Right. That was, like, <laughs> remember that guy from Star Trek, Riker? He was like, "This one was fact." Was, was there hard fact or fiction? Yeah, beyond belief, beyond fact belief. or fiction. Okay, that's what we're, okay. that, we're like. Like, I thought that's what they were talking about. I did too. And then we realized the people who run the show is fact or fiction. Right. Um, this one. It was better than I expected. It was, because it legit felt like a real crime case. Yeah. Like, I feel like they took an actual crime case, like, that happened before, and kind of, like, built from that. I mean, not saying that this was based on true events, but, like, the information they took. Nothing's, yeah. like, outer-worldly or supernatural. It's all very grounded and even when you start to suspect that it might be they switch you up on you. they switch you up yeah and it, it's it's great it is so good yeah um, it's, it's super um easy to watch too and intriguing through the whole thing it's like the best episode of like the first 48 or a serial killer files yeah. or something but unlike the blair witch where you really don't get any closure which i don't think closure is always a good thing you right. get closure in this one and i'm not sure if i like the closure i would have really kind of liked to end this without ever knowing what happened because in a, in a, in a sick way that's scarier i think that they should have left some a couple more hints here or there but mm-hmm. i think honestly i think the face should have been distorted or it should have just been somebody like we don't know who that is that would have scared me more i, I think. think when they got to the face stuff um i think they kind of like wrote themselves into a corner and they just kind of just went with it because i don't know a good way that you could come out of that situation if you will i would have made it spoiler i would have made it um somebody that wasn't in the movie yeah they'd be like oh that's just some weirdo from the internet that yeah. wrote to them that mm-hmm. would be scarier to me that's some, oh, yeah. some weird one in one in ten people that follow but the person that they do it makes sense then everything comes together it closes all the possible mm-hmm. you're like oh shit now it all makes sense right and and you know and the conclusion is talking back to early internet untraceability um fanaticism and that guy was making these comments about the media and all that shit and he is pretty much the he's like the perpetrator of all that yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's like i said this is like a really engaging movie i I mean i felt like i was watching he was like you know he was like there is no jersey devil the jersey devil is the media it's the internet and it was just like He's trying to blame his fucking horrible shit on that. But then he says, the Jersey Devil is a man that enters the woods and doesn't come back out. I'm like, oh. Okay, that line is in there. I think it's a great movie, honestly. I think it might get better on second viewing, but I don't know if it'll have the same punch. Right, I don't know if the punch will be there. I would like to watch somebody else watch it. I'd put it in and just be like this, watch the other person like... (laughs) You ever do that? Sometimes. (laughs) You've already seen it, so you're just watching them. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess it's it's not in tear on tape because that book was made in like early 90s and this was made late 90s. But I will read from the Creature Features John Stanley's. This thing's like an hour long. It literally is like an hour long. Look at this. This is like a goddamn book. That's it's ridiculous. Half, it's it not even a Hammer movie, guys. I don't know why it's in these <sighs> okay. books. 
the last broadcast, three out of five. Hopefully the producers of the Blair Witch Project and the Curse of Blair Witch, the latter being a psycho documentary, a pseudo documentary about the first, are sending over a few of the res residual checks to the makers of this remarkably clever film. There can be no doubt that the last broadcast inspired the Blair Witch Projects. So similar are the subjects and the producing techniques. This is a mockumentary of a true incident of... Of 1995 known as either the Jersey Double Murders or the Pine Barrens and the Jersey Devil. Using interviews and interviews, television program footage, still, for still photographs and computer images, the film documents how to, two access TV show hosts, Stephen Outcast and Locus Wheeler, of fact and fiction, really dumb name. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the one guy when he first meets him, he's like, Locus. Um, hired soundman Ryan Clacker and alleged psychic Jim Seward and ventured into a desolate region of New Jersey known as the Pine Barrens, where perhaps the Jersey Devil might be lurking. Two of the filmmaker filmmaking team were found horribly mutilated and Seward, after a courtroom trial where he maintained his innocence to the end, was sent to prison for the murders. The blood of all three, including the missing man, had been found on his clothing. A year later, Seward died mysteriously while in prison, and a week later, a mass of unwound recording tape was found at the doorstep of producer David Lee who is now putting together the last broadcast. Among those telling the fascinating crime story from the Baroque County and our forensics pathologist, Dr. Van K. Waller, video editor Claire DeForest, psychologist Dr. Dale Ostale, Ostal, one-time soap opera director Sam Woods, who's a really creative yeah. character, web des uh, page designer Jay McDowell, detective uh, Anthony Rosa, data retrieval specialist Michelle Monarch, and documentary filmmaker David Lee. Much of the footage is what the filmmaker shot on their ill-fated venture, later recovered by investigating officer and used at the trial. This is all done in an unsolved mystery style that was to be copied in The Curse of the Blair Witch, but where the lost broadcast differs is that during its final ten minutes, it suddenly drops the psycho-documentary approach and becomes a well-photographed feature film with a shocking new murder performed in vivid detail and a final explanation for the mystery. The last broadcast was produced, written, and directed by Stefan Alvos and Lance Wheeler for a reported $900, some of that going for Chow, and was awarded a um, silver prize at the Chicago Underground Film Festival. It made the low-budget rounds for a while, but never caught on like the Blair Witch Project. After the success of that film, it was revived and given video distribution. Um, sorry about that. A fascinating must-see for anyone interested in how our ever-changing technology is being used to make movies in novel ways. And he gave this three out of five. That's a long-ass fucking write-up, almost like he was like basically promoting the movie in here. Because I think he feels like it deserves more attention than it actually got. I feel like it um, does. And I think it deserves way more than a three. Mm -hmm. I'm coming at an eight and a half out of ten, and that's a first-time view for it. I think it's... um. For nine hundred dollars, it's one of the best low-budget movies you'll ever see. Yeah, it's it's probably a four out of five for me. Yeah, it, it yeah. was fantastic, and I mean, like, I don't want to sound like a jerk, but this movie can't get much higher than what I gave it for for its, you know, yeah, for I, what I, it is. For yeah. what it is, I know that sounds shitty to be like for for what it is, it, it can't be better, really. I mean, the last horror movie I think is a really good, the last horror film. That's the one where the guy keeps running the tape and recording real murders over it mm -hmm. and, and then kills the person who rents the tape. That one's crazy, too. I like that one. I would compare that a little to this, but this one's better, I think. Is this, um, so that, that said it was based off a true story? No. So is there... True. Okay, I didn't know if true was in... Yeah, well, uh, I, I couldn't pick up the book and do this. Okay, it's so I, did, I didn't know if there was, like a like I said, if it was based off of something no, else no. or... which is what makes it genius to me. Right, because it does um, seem very real and legit. Aside from the ending stuff, but other than that, yeah, it yeah. does seem very grounded in reality. I mean, the ending is a little disappointing, but it mm -hmm. also makes perfect sense. It, it, it makes it too realistic. 
It, yeah, it doesn't come out of anywhere. It's not like a surprise ending. I wouldn't even know if I would call it a twist ending. I would. It, Just you weren't paying attention. You weren't I, thinking yeah, of it. Yeah. You're like, I don't know, this isn't going to be that, but it was that. Like, I thought it might be at one point, and I'm like, eh, they wouldn't do that. But, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's good. The ending's fine. Um, just different. Yeah, it, ju- it just... I, I think it, it'd be better without the coda, I guess, if I were to redo it. Um, Blair Witch also, did that take place in New Jersey or no? I can't remember. I can't remember. I feel like it's definitely New England. Because yeah, it's got that, the witch aspect. Yeah. It might, it might be more Connecticut, no. Massachusetts area, I, I would guess. I can't remember. I mean, I've seen that movie so long ago. About the cheat. Oh, we're going to find I, out. Yeah, I feel like I we need to, you know. But this guy put that in 96, and I really feel like Last Broadcast wasn't made until later, and I think he put 96 just so it would look worse against the Blair Witch, I want to be honest. Because <laughs> okay. I think they literally were made the same year, and it this one was only made like a couple, maybe like a few months before the Blair Witch. Right. And a Blair Witch got out first. I like, think something like that happened. Yeah, I feel like that it's not something where Blair Witch intentionally copied. I just feel like they just happened to be at the same time. This guy wrote eight years in the Blair Witch, too. Oh. Black Hills Forest. Where is it, though? I can't read all that nonsense. He mentions the last broadcast. <laughs> so, yeah. I wonder how they feel about the last broadcast, if they've even seen it. You know what I mean? That'd be, that'd be a pretty good uh, I'm sure. Interview. I'm sure some guy got up there and was like, Yeah, you ripped the last broadcast. I thought they'd probably been hearing it all the time. Like, sure, sure, like, whatever. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> I mean, they, they are two completely different movies, I would say. Um, I prefer the last broadcast from memory. From, from memory. memory? Yeah. It's been years, though. Oh, have you seen it before? No, I prefer oh, 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 from, from memory, memory of the Blair, of the Blair Witch. Witch. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, because you missed the point if you've seen it before. Um, (laughs) No, so the, um, yeah, like I said, the the last broadcast is more documentary with aspects of found footage. And Blair Witch is, if I'm wrong, but I think it is purely found footage like yours, but tape. Yeah, and the Curse of the Blair Witch is more like this. It's a documentary, which I had never seen. I've seen that, I think, on television. But uh, I'm good on this one. Mm-hmm. I think that um, we'll figure it out next week. It might be Forbidden Planet if we push Flash Gordon. Yeah, yeah, it's supposed to be Flash Gordon, but you we, said the DVDs coming. Well, out. there's a 4K Blu-ray coming out, and I don't know when it's coming out. I'd like to get that and watch that for that. So, so maybe Fantastic Forbidden Planet. I think so. No, Forbidden Fantastic Fantastic no. Planet. Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. So uh, we're out of here. I'd come to this project with many of the same assumptions that you have concerning the Jersey Devil murders and the guilt of Jim Seward. His characterization as a troubled young man responsible for a spree of horrific ritualistic homicides. What really happened that night? And is Jim Seward truly responsible? Most people, when they commit a crime, aren't being videotaped like you know, when they're doing it, or like near the time when they're doing it. It was like spying in on, on this crime about to happen. No one else had the opportunity to commit those murders except for Mr. Jim Seward. I feel weird about it. Yeah, you know, no, me I, too. This whole idea to come out into the woods and stuff. You know, suddenly they want to jump into doing 
you know, big time alive, you know, from the Pine Barrens and have radio and internet and this and that. And, uh, you know, I, I knew it was going to be a fiasco. I, I, well, I didn't really think it was going to end up like it did, but I knew it wasn't going to look pretty. The attacker was using both hands with two weapons and was ambidextrous. Two separate instruments were driven into the victims at the same time. I think to anybody, if you found 47 pieces of a, of a human being or human beings, it would be very disturbing. The whole thing reeks of a setup. More, more went down than, than we know. Jim's an innocent man, and this was not investigated in any way, shape, or form. The one thing about this with, uh, you know, this guy Jim, uh, you know, the case they built up against him, it was all circumstance. We didn't have any actual evidence that he did this, but, uh, I mean, he was the only one there. Also, if he's an innocent man, there's a killer on the loose. As they said on Fact or Fiction, you decide. Let's get some of these questions in. Um, Nick Mua, I've grown to love the cannibal genre, as do you, I believe, and I've noticed that there are two distinct subgenres with these films. Either the cannibals can pass as sane for a while to lure in their victims, we are what we are, Elf, Guy Hopkins, Cannibal Hunter, or the cannibals are a wild tribe and fierce, i.e. offspring, plank face. What's your favorite type of cannibal film? My favorite type of cannibal film, besides obviously the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is the best, um, is the jungle cannibal movies, like Cannibal Holocaust, Cannibal Ferox, Cannibal Apocalypse, which doesn't really count because that's like a rabies thing. Um, I do like the rabies kind of virus thing, like Rabbit or Cannibal Apocalypse. That, um, does that count as, uh, you know, uh, cannibals or not? I'm not sure if that even counts, so I'll go with the jungle cannibal ones, like Eaten Alive, Cannibal Holocaust, Cannibal Ferox, uh, Mountain of the Cannibal Gods. I like that kind of thing, so, yeah. And then, do you have a favorite stop-motion animation sequence? I love this almost forgotten technique, like Dr. Chenard's creepy wing, wiggly fingers in Hellraiser, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. I completely forgot about that in Hellraiser 2, with the like the flower comes. I love that kind of stuff. I, I can't think of any stop-motion sequence, but I love the stuff in a basket case. It makes me smile. There's so many of them. Hellraiser 2, though, I love that, too. Uh, Chenard's one of my favorite characters of all time, once I think about it. You know, um, I recommend amputation. <laughs> but I do that all the time with my friends. I'm like, uh, anyways, I love uh, Hellraiser too. So I'll go with the, I'll go with Chenard. But a basket case, there we go. With that one too. Did you recently or not so recently mention a movie title to someone younger, only for them to go, oh, that old movie, which in turn made you feel old? No, I don't really talk to many younger people. I I go to work. And I, got, I talk to my family, my friends, and I got my coworkers who are all pretty much older than me. I'm like the, one of the youngest guys right now at my work. So I'm used to talking to older guys and older women. So I just don't typically deal with a lot of younger people. And if they were to say that, I, I just, I know some shit, I just wouldn't talk to them about movies. I was just like, okay. I mean, we're from two different planets. I'm not going to talk about movies with you. Um, answers. So, um, 
Last week, I asked your favorite Cat 3 movies and favorite Hong Kong movies. George Hilton's, uh, great name, by the way, George Hilton. I thought you died, but maybe I'm wrong. Favorite Cat 3 movie is Ebola Syndrome. Travis Wright. I've got to see Cine I got to see Centipede Horror at the Horror Marathon a year ago, and it was a blast. There's the only Cat 3 movie I've seen. What the Flick, in my opinion, the story of Ricky and the Untold Story is of equal awesomeness, but Ebola Syndrome is not too far behind, and Taxi Hunter is pretty good. Nick Mua, much to my embarrassment, I'm not familiar with Hong Kong cinema, nor have I seen much of what it has to offer. That being said, I found myself getting quite excited when watching um, Red Wolf 1995, a short of homage to Die Hard set on a cruise ship. Actor Kenny Ho's character must punch his way through several baddies to save the passengers of said cruise ship. Mike Merriman, asking about Hong Kong films immediately transport me back to discovering John Woo's over-the-top amazing action flicks like Hard Boiled, The Killer, A Better Tomorrow, 1 and 2, etc., etc. Still love them to this day. I still have the double feature DVD with some of the most badass machine gun blasting DVD menus ever. Um, Ron Munster, Hong Kong films. Yeah, Shaw Brothers, all day. Um, Spencer Churchill, it would be cool to feature some titles from the recently deceased Cat 3 director Billy Tang, Dr. Lam, and Run to Kill come to mind. I always wanted to do a triple feature just for comedy purposes. Run to Kill, Red to Kill, Love to Kill. All Cat 3 movies. Um, I think that would be fun. Um, Nathan Hesley, Run and Kill, All Day for Show. Michelle Kisner, Cat 3 Phase, Untold Story of Bullet Syndrome, Guts of Origin, Men Behind the Sun, Story of Ricky. Um, and then Nathan Hesley, oh, that's, um, yeah. Uh, Nathan Hesley, Shaw Brothers, The Boxer's Omen, one of the best. And then we have Jason Hur, Untold Story, Red to Kill, Bullet Syndrome, Daughter of Darkness, Chinese Torture Chamber Story, Intruder, Run and Kill, Dr. Lamb, Men Behind the Sun, Love to Kill, Ricky O, Peeping Tom, Diary of a Serial Killer, Human Pork Chop, Robo Tricks, Naked Killer, The Rapist, Eternal Evil of Asia, Street Angel, Suburb Murder, Don't Stop My Crazy Love for You, Escape from Brothel, Erotic Nightmare, Probably Forgetting a Good Handful. And then Scott heard Deliska, Ricky O, and Red to Kill and Run and Kill and Sex and Zen. There's like three of those. Derek B, Ebola Syndrome and Ricky O, Story of Ricky and also Exiled. Zach Puccinelli, Ebola Syndrome, The Goat. Stephen McGivern, The Untold Story. If anybody hasn't seen Ebola Syndrome, <laughs> Anthony Wong in that movie, Out to Lunch, he's great in it. But then we have uh, some information I wanted to read. So these are just some comments I thought may be interesting to people. So Ilk Vomit, kind of disappointed that there wasn't any special features on the release of Orca. Like, how can there not be a special feature at least about the effects of the film? LOL, I swear when I was a kid for the longest time, I thought they killed, really killed an Orca to make the film. I had to look it up after I watched it. I was like, they didn't kill that Orca. They didn't kill that Orca. So it really looks like it. As Dino De Laurentiis, I could see him be like, we killed the Orca for real. Uh, but uh, yeah. That's my stereotypical crazy producer voice, by the way. Uh, Zach Nolan, uh, Long Duck Dong is the man. Hope to see a collection overview in the future. You must have 50,000 titles now. Ordered Fantastic Planet based on your recommendation. Can't thank you enough. It's fan It's great. It's fantastic. But honestly, I put it off for years. When I watched it, I was like, I just was so intrigued. It was mine. It blew my mind. Ken Coakley, I only like rock musicals such as Hair, Godspell, Jesus Christ Superstar, Rocky Horror, and Grease. I saw the film Hair when it came out in the theaters in 79 with my sister, who was a hippie on the 60s and early 70s. I remember turning to my sister and we both said that Treat Williams looked like my brother-in-law when he was a hippie. They pl the play originated in 1968 and Donnie Dacus, who played Wolf, was in the band Chicago, replacing late guitarist Terry Caff, who accidentally shot himself while cleaning his gun in Don Johnson's apartment. When you guys mentioned Dacus getting the role because of his long hair, I remember going to college in 1988 and being offered to do their version of her hair because I had long hair because I was a thrash metal guy. I turned it down because I thought it was too 
topical of the past, and in 1988, we had no war, no tension. We did have the AIDS epidemic, famine in uh, Ethiopia, crack addiction, but none of it had anything to do with hair. I also knew that the cast members of the original play came out nude at the end of the show and thought I would have to do that. Also, Dorsey Wright, who played HUD, was also the tribal leader in the Warriors. Also, Miles Chaplin, who was the dorky rich kid that drove Beverly Delangelo to school, was the fun was in the funhouse as well as the great coming of age called Bless the Beast and the Children, in which he was fat. It was my first time seeing John Savage, whose sister was here in Boston as an entertainment reporter at the time. The Deer Hunter was nominated, and she mentioned being siblings with the nomination when the nominations came out. It was also my first time seeing Truett Williams, who became a huge influence on me when I wanted to be an actor. So I thought that was interesting enough to read. A lot about hair. A lot more than I knew, obviously. Uh, Dungeon Studio. Funny how you reminded me about hair. Used to be my fave soundtrack when I was young. My mom got into trouble for seeing the stage show back in the late 60s because there was nudity. LOL. And I think... Wasn't there a recent reboot of Hair a few years ago? But yes, Milos Foreman. And I noticed Michael Butler on the credits as well, which I recall from the car production. think I might have to check this flick out. Thanks, guys. And is there anything else? That's just an empty page. But let me ask you the question of the week. Um, I've been seeing this stupid meme go around, and I, I agree with it completely. Um, what's a bad movie that should be remade? Because people always like, we remake the great movies. What's a bad movie with a great story that was just made like shit? I'll go first. A movie I love but could be remade? Because the but because the, I feel like it was screwed up in production, the Neon Maniacs. Love the movie. I think it could be a gem. I think it's a gem, but I think everybody could think it's a gem. The Neon Maniacs. So uh, yeah, guys, um, bad movie that should be remade. Let's hop into the update first. Let's get this one out of the way. We got the Blade trilogy. It was cheap. I didn't have these on Blu-ray. Liked the first one a lot. I remember liking the first one a lot. I remember thinking the second one was alright. And I was iffy on the third one. I mean, I didn't hate any of them when they came out, really. But, yeah. I want to rewatch these. I'm sure they're pretty... I'm sure Blade's pretty decent, obviously. It holds up, I'm sure. Maybe. Maybe. Then we got Night Tide. I didn't get the special edition, but I really wanted to grab this one. Heard it's a great release. Dennis Hopper. Curtis Harrington. Indicator. Was she human? Or was she a beautiful temptress from the sea? Intent upon loving consuming and killing it's a long tagline guys um then we have these from a uh, indicator as well sinbad in the eye of the tiger i wanted to grab these these harryhausen you know sinbad movies uh, i used to watch these on tv but i don't remember which ones i saw or anything the golden voyage of sinbad now somebody asked me earlier about stop motion and i should have brought up freaking clash of the titans and the sinbad movies because i love that then we have uh, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. This is the one I think I remember with the Cyclops. I can't. You know what? Another one I need is Jason and the Argonauts. I definitely need to grab that one because I don't have that one. But they sent these cards as well. And, uh, yeah, we got some DVDs we'll hop into. We got, I got the Kojak, the Night Stalker, a DVD series. After watching the first movie, I was like, I need the series too. So I went ahead and grabbed them. Gonna watch those eventually. And we have this two movie marathon from Universal into the Badlands, which I reviewed. I didn't I, I couldn't find the disc originally, but saw this and I grabbed it. Dead Man's Revenge with Bruce Dern and Michael Ironside. Remember seeing the trailer for that one, so yeah. Good price on it. So I figured, you know, I did watch the one online, but since it's available to buy, I'm gonna buy it. So yeah. Alright guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, have a good one. Hey.